0: Have you ever received? You might it doesn't have to be really expensive, but you might consider it a lavish gift. Anyone? Uh, I remember when I was early 20s uh, and working uh, a job that didn't pay a lot of money, and volunteering as the college pastor at uh, the church I was a part of. And I had a lot a reputation for a lot of different things, I'm sure. But one of the things that I had a reputation for was uh, bumming people's guitars. So I didn't have my own guitar, and so I would borrow people's guitars. (laughs) Actually, I would borrow people's guitars, break their strings, and then give them back. (laughs) Say, oh, thanks. (laughs) Not replace the strings, but just give them the guitar back with broken strings. That was 22-year-old Brad. I think that's changed a little bit, I hope. But uh, one year, my birthday was coming up, I had been leading uh, this uh, ministry to college students who uh, didn't have a lot of money because they were college students and then also there were these uh, au pairs so nannies from overseas that were a big part of our group and they watched me bum guitars for about a year and then when my birthday came up in October uh, their gift to me was taking a collection uh, that turned out to be somewhere over $400 for a guitar and giving it to me so yeah, right? So for a guy who wasn't making a lot of money and volunteering a lot of hours, working with people who didn't have any money, <laughs> it, it was a huge surprise and really awesome. And I took that money and I bought my favorite guitar, which I still have, which is at home. I wish I could play for you. It just doesn't uh, have a pickup in it. Maybe I should take care of that. But uh, I remember thinking, wow, that was so thoughtful and so generous, and so my question as we get started today is, when is a time that you can remember thinking, wow, that was so thoughtful, that was so generous? When's a, when's a time that you remember thinking that? Now, whatever that time is, I would love for you to take five minutes and email me Uh, The story of the last time or a time where you were just blown away by some sort of generosity. And on the flip side of that, I wonder if you've ever taken a risk to be generous and seen God come through in some sort of cool or amazing or just even just encouraging way in your own life. And if you have a story like that, I would love to hear that as well. So my email is brad at... uh, mosaicphiladelphia.org, it's in your bulletin. Send me those stories because a lot of times the best thing about a series like this is hearing the stories that happen in real people's lives. And I'm not a real person, so my stories, they don't count. (laughs) Today we're going to look at a story from the Bible that I think illustrates the lavish generosity of God, but in a controversial way. So in a way that might make you think, that doesn't seem fair, God, why are you doing that? And I think what we're going to see is God portrayed as super generous. Uh, We'll get a look and a peek at what really the biggest gift that he gives to us is. And I think we'll be reminded also of how much we are given. So I'm hoping this will be a really encouraging time for all of us. So generosity, we're talking about it during the series. And when we say generosity, what we're talking about is a lifestyle of sharing freely what God has given to us. A lifestyle of sharing freely what God's given to us. Let's read our passage today. This is Matthew 20, the first 16 verses. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again on the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. In about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men were hired last, worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But... He answered one of them, friend, am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, as you hear this story, you might have mixed feelings, I think immediately you notice th- really the great way that the landowner treats the workers who start later in the day. Things work out great for them. So, some even work for just one hour but get an entire day's pay. At the same time, you might find yourselves feeling a little bit for the workers who started at the beginning of the day, worked the whole day, and got paid the same as the workers who worked just one hour. Is this really fair? And do we feel comfortable with this? And it seems like the landowner is pretty clearly supposed to represent God to us in this story. So what is Jesus saying about how the kingdom of God works? Because he starts this whole parable saying this is how the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's like. So to get the most out of this passage, a little background I think is really helpful. You notice that this passage starts with the word for, F O R. And whenever you see that, it can be a good hint. If you haven't read what came before, it can be really helpful to read what came before because that's the setup for the story you're about to read. So what happens uh, in verse 27 of chapter 9 is we see uh, Jesus' followers uh, saying this to him: we've left everything to follow you. What then shall there be for us? And they're concerned because this really prominent rich young ruler has come to Jesus And he is miserable. And he says, what do I need to do? Jesus, tell me. And Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. He gets upset by that. He can't quite handle that at that point in his life. And so he takes off. And then Jesus' followers say, well, we've left everything to follow you. What will it be for us? And Jesus says to them, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus gives them this promise. He's like... If you sacrifice for me, basically, you're going to get this hundredfold return. Which I'm sure the disciples were like, all right. Okay, all right. That is a good deal. We will do that. But then he follows that up. And I don't want to move too fast. I think we should be encouraged by that. I think there is this dynamic in the way that God's kingdom works. So the the way that God works where uh, when we live in faith and we sacrifice in faith, there is this uh, returning to us of blessing, right? And I don't want to skip by that too fast, because I think that's encouraging. I think we need to know that. I think we, we do well to internalize that and believe that, and that can be helpful in our lives. But right after that, Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And notice he puts that at the end of our story today. And I think the reason he does that is because he wants to put what I think is a healthy and helpful sort of check in place for his followers. Because you can tell they're already starting to think, well, I've done this. What do I get? And he wants to say, look, if you sacrifice, it's true. I will reward you. But it may not look like what you're expecting. The first will be last and the last will be first which isn't what anyone expects, is it? So let's lean into that. Let's see what we can learn. So I think the overall idea here is for Jesus to encourage his followers. So let's look at some surprising encouragements to follow a generous Jesus. The first is this, and this we touched on last week, and it makes a lot of sense. Theologically, but sometimes it's harder to get inside of us. And that is this, that God is very, very generous. He's so generous that it bothers people. It irks them. In verse 9 it says, The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The early starters are ticked. They are irked that the landowner would be so generous to the workers who got a late start. And the late starters, they didn't really seem to deserve to get paid a full day's wage, but maybe only for like one hour. And if you think about this a little bit, just the hiring of later workers at all highlights the landowner's generosity. After all, he couldn't have expected them to really get much done, right? And that's the same thing about those he hired at the sixth and the ninth hour. That's just, just, we don't really talk like that anymore, but every three hours, basically, this guy is going out and he's hiring more people. The truth is, he didn't need, I think there's a lot to learn here that points to the generosity of the landowner. First of all, You get this idea that there are plenty of workers out there. So even the ones who are hired first, it's not like the landowner couldn't have gotten somebody else. They're not doing the landowner any favors. That's what I'm trying to say. He doesn't need their help. There's plenty of people who can help. And then anyone who's hired after that, basically the landowner doesn't need either, because he's already hired enough people to cover whatever work is to be done. So he's not hiring them for himself. You get that? He's hiring them for them because they're stuck by the side of the road doing nothing. So everyone who's hired really is almost a gift from the landowner. The first people who are hired, he could have got other people. There's lots of people standing around. Anybody after that, he doesn't really need because there's not that much. There's not like he's got it covered, basically. But I think he sees the people along the side of the road. He knows they have families, they have bills to pay. And he hires them for their benefit, not his. And I think this is how God relates with us. He offers to meet our needs, even though he doesn't need anything from us. This is extreme generosity. This is grace. Giving to those who cannot give to you. And God, is, he's happy to involve us in what he's doing in the world, but we make a mistake if we think that he needs us. There are plenty of workers along the side of the road that he could use, but he wants to give to us because he's very, very generous. And I think this is a reminder of why bargaining with God is such a bad idea. We touched on this last week, pointing out that we really really can't make a deal with God because he, he doesn't need anything that we have. But we see something new here this week. It seems from this passage that if we choose to bargain with God, He will let us limit his generosity in our lives. You notice that when the landowner hires his first workers, it says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. To those he hired later, he says, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. So bargaining with God is not the best way to approach God. And the folks that simply trusted the landowner, they're blown away by his generosity. While the ones who made a deal only got what they bargained for. I think it's really easy to sort of follow or fall into this way of approaching our spirituality. You know, sometimes we just ask God, like, like Peter, what then will there be for us? And we ask, what will you give me if, dot, dot, dot. And you can fill that in with ink. What if I give my life to the poor? What if I'm faithful to my spouse? What if I don't cheat on my taxes? You know, big and little things. But God's response is, is no guarantees. I will pay you whatever is right. You catch that? That's it. There's no specific guarantee from the landowner. And we really have no specific promise of what God will specifically do in our lives as well. So when he says to his disciples, if you leave this, you'll get a hundredfold in terms of blessing back into your life. He doesn't mean if you give a dollar to the church or to the ALS Association or whatever, you're going to surprisingly find a hundred dollars magically appear in your bank account tomorrow. He's saying, I will pay you whatever is right. I think he's probably saying what you most need is what will come your way. And sometimes we can't see that or know what that is or know how to expect that. In Ephesians chapter 3 it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. This is the possibility that We trade when we try and nail things down. We trade immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine for something more finite. You know, what if God gives us what we ask for? I think the underlying message here is it might be way less than what he wants for us. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. It's all of these mysteries with no guarantees. And all these things that seem counterintuitive. Generosity is counterintuitive. It feels like you're losing. But the promise of Jesus is no. To be generous is to be like God and then to experience more of his presence in your life. And that's really God's biggest gift. Oh, If you want to fill in the blank. The check here, I think, for us is, would you rather trust God or have a guarantee? But the biggest gift that God has for us is life with Jesus. That's the hope, that's the promise that we get over and over again from Jesus, from the scriptures. And the question that inspires the communication of this parable is this, what then will be there for us? And then in the parable, the early workers comment, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And the thought here is, look, we've given up so much. We're sacrificing so much. We're laboring in the hot sun. We're working nine to five. We're working weekends and holidays. We deserve more. What about us? I think what Jesus is promising is first a reminder, you are on the sidelines in some ways. They were on the sidelines. They were doing nothing. They were hoping for an opportunity, longing for something meaningful to put their effort into. Then the land comes along and gives them an opportunity to be productive. I think Jesus is pointing out to his followers, your life was missing something. You were longing for purpose, for meaningful pursuits, for something to invest in that would last. And I offered you not only that, but relationship and partnership with me, purpose in this life invited you to join me in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And that's how the story starts. For the kingdom of heaven is like. But also it will cost you. You'll have to sacrifice. There are no guarantees that it will turn out like you imagine. But you get to be a part of it with me. Would you trade cable for that or a second car? Some might say, well, it looks like I can get the same deal by waiting to the end of the day and then buying in. And after all, the workers that joined late still got a full day's pay. But I think that's missing the point. Part of the great benefit is following Jesus, is working with him in the vineyard. It's being part of the kingdom of God here and now. The later workers missed out on all that precious time when they could have been partnering with the landowner, making a difference. There's a hymn by Johannes Scheffler. It's called a classic hymn, although I'd never heard it before. <laughs> but that's just the background I grew up in. But you might have heard this. It says this, Alas, that I so lightly knew thee, thee so worthy of the best, nor had sooner turned to view thee truest good and only rest. The more I love, I mourn the more that I did not love before. And this is the expectation, the expectation check, I think, that Jesus wants his followers to have. The check is this. Do you see yourself as blessed or as a martyr? Now, this isn't a simple theology. I don't understand it. Uh, I struggle to live this out. There are some areas in my life where I'm hoping this is true, but I don't have the story to tell. I say, oh, let me tell you how this has been true in my life. That's part of following Jesus too. Sometimes it takes a long time before you see or you understand, and I think sometimes you never do. And some of this you live by faith in uncertainty but i hope and i trust that the uncertainty is where i actually meet jesus that's where faith lives that's where jesus is found and i don't have all the answers in the moment and i can't give you an answer for every experience in your life right now or in my life right now but i know i want more of jesus and i trust that the more i find the more i find life with him So it can be encouraging, we think. We might want to have specificity, nail it down, a guarantee. But that's not where Jesus is. The hope is that this is where you find Jesus. This is where blessing is. And that as we sacrifice, and you might feel like this right now, you might feel like a martyr. But the hope is that's not the whole story, that actually blessing is coming through, even the most difficult things. And there's a third encouragement. And that is that we've already been given so much. And this is hard to see sometimes. A lot of times I preach these sermons, I'm preaching to myself. But the landowner takes care of everyone in this story early workers, middle workers, late workers. He's generous and has plenty to share around. He doesn't short anyone or meet the needs of some of his workers and not the others. Everyone is blessed by his generosity. Everyone. The only people who are unhappy in this story are the ones who lose sight of how much they've been given and instead focus on how much others have been given. I haven't mastered this, but I do know that if I want to be unhappy or miserable, one way to get there is to compare myself to others. Verse 10, it says, So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner these men, who were hired, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. The early workers couldn't enjoy what they'd been given because they were focused on what other people had been given. I haven't figured this all out, but I know that that is a sad way to live. And that can suck the joy out of life. So the check here of expectations is, am I comparing myself to others? The truth is that we are blessed. Our church is blessed. You no, know, here we are 15 years into this journey, and I look around, and I can see all the good things that God is doing. You know, we've become a place where we can help people reimagine their faith without quitting it, help new people find Jesus. We're doing the work of an anti-racist church in a new way that we never have before. This is an incredibly diverse place with people from different backgrounds In a time when people are dividing, we are uniting. Small groups for community and developing our faith. You are here. (laughs) You weren't here 15 years ago. But if we look around, I think we could find churches that are bigger, that do X better than we do, that have a newer building, whatever it is. But you know what? It doesn't matter. God has blessed us generously and will continue to do so. And we've had some tough times along the way. There will be more tough times, but our God is generous and he will always provide all that we need as a community and as individuals, but not in the form of a guarantee. That's why I think this is a hopeful story for us. It encourages us that God is generous, that he invites us into life with him, and that we've been given so much. But it also challenges us. It pushes us to trust, to be generous without any guarantees. It challenges our hearts. Do we see ourselves as heroes or as blessed? And it challenges us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not on other people. God is generous. He will provide all that we need. We can trust him. Would you close your eyes with me? Before I pray, I just just want us to take a moment. And I don't want to tell you what have come to your mind. It doesn't matter. But I want to ask you a question. Just close your eyes and take a moment with me. How has God blessed you? What comes to mind? How has God been good to you? What comes to mind? Jesus, I pray for each person here. For those that are riding high oh god thank you for that bless that and in the middle of that mountaintop or that everything just seems to be turbocharged i pray for a recognition a connection to your grace and i pray you keep that momentum going And for those of us who might be in more of a mysterious place, like I hear this story, I would really like to believe it's true. (laughs) Jesus, would you connect us to the good that you are doing in our lives right now, that we could see it? And would that give us hope and encouragement for what's next and what's around the corner? Amen.